Hi. Hello. Hi, Sam. How are you? <laughs> I'm good, Alistair. How are you doing? I'm very well. I'm actually exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a I'm, week. I'm, I'm amazing. You're like, I'm doing just fine. Is that a peppy introduction to this episode? I'm exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a peppy intro, but you know what? Sometimes, sometimes in life, there are days that are fillers. And sometimes when you're watching series one of Doctor Who, there are also yep. episodes that are fillers. And this is one of them. <laughs> this, this is big, big filler energy. It was a big filler for Russell. It's a big filler for us. It, it's amazing, isn't it? Sometimes in life, you're writing a series of a hit sci-fi and your best mate just drops out on you and says, I actually can't write this script. You do it. And uh, <laughs> and this is what you get. You get Boomtown. Yeah. No, I mean, I I look, I think that I can find the joy in pretty much anything, especially when it's like early who. And there's a lot of fun to be had with this episode, but it is like undeniably, it's what I'd call like a bottle episode of a sitcom. It's using sets that you've either already made or have easy access to. It's characters that you've already introduced. Um, mm -hmm. There's no real new concepts being brought to it. Um, but hey, I think there's a bit of a fun romp to be had. And I also will say, I think that there is fun to be had in just watching like the doctor and his companions having fun and like having a bit of a yeah. holiday. I think there's some fun. It's there a fun too. one. It's yeah, it's it's a bit of, it's a bit of a day off for everyone. It's it's a character piece, and it's not the worst. It's fun, yeah, and it does a lot for character building, team dynamics, sets up a finale very well. Mm. Um, now what I will say is, I watched Doc Two Confidential to prep for this instead of the episode, mm. and they had nothing to say about this. Like they had <laughs> nothing to say about this so much so that they turned it into a different, like moral piece. They turned it into like, a, you know, normally it's like, it's, it's about the thing that's happening. Yeah. Um, it's about the episode. It's looking at the behind the scenes and so on. This one, they were like, today on confidential we explore like does the doctor have the right to kill? And they did like a montage of all the times the doctor has killed people. Right. And, they went back in time and they did like how campaigners have been like outraged by Doc 2 for being violent at different points in time. They had interviews with Peter Davidson and um, Colin Baker talking about all the people that they'd murdered on screen. Oh and they were God. like, oh yeah, I remember they got angry. I think I you know, pushed someone into a bath of acid or something and I made some rather flippant comment and then it cuts to the episode. Right from like the 70s and he's like i won't join if you don't mind and he was like yeah they didn't like that but and then peter davidson's like absolute nonsense as if kids can't tell you know <laughs> the world of sci-fi make-believe apart from they're more scared of what's on the news they're terrified of what's on the news not what i'm doing running around and it's, so i was like what what is what is happening this is not boomtown this is great <laughs> but this is not do you know what they probably have more fun doing that one they were like look this is a this is a low-key episode doctor this week you can kind of do what you want you can go on a run what do you want to do to the editors and the editors like i know what i want to do there's one clip of peter davidson and then they cut to another one and i think i think it's just archive footage because he's got a completely different haircut <laughs> it's like there's years between <laughs> the two clips so i think they they were like shit get into the bbc archive right now and find anything you have that we can stitch together for this week <laughs> well look i think that it's a it's an episode of many levels and it was also an episode of no levels whatsoever <laughs> well it's funny because they try and really like in confidential they try and almost push this as like one of the most deep and complex ones as if it's like 
ooh, like finally the doctor's having to face his consequences. Finally, you know, he can't run away this time. This time he's stuck looking, you know, um, looking his decision in the eyes and he has to decide, like, does he have the right to kill his enemy? Ooh. And I don't know, was it was it that deep? Because, well, in the end, he didn't, well, we'll get to this. <laughs> That's another hula-la catchphrase. We'll, we'll get into this. <laughs> so we'll come but back he doesn't have to, there, there is no moral choice. She regresses into an egg and it's resolved. But I think that similar with the Doctor Who magazine now, Russell had a lot to say in what was happening around Who. We, we do know that with the new series, we're going to be getting somewhat of a Doctor Who confidential style show. And I think Russell's very involved in it. And I have, in doing my reading for this episode, uh, seen that Russell intended the episode to be a bit more of a character piece about the Doctor exploring whether he had the authority to take someone's life, and, like take them to their death sentence, as well as yeah. exploring the consequence of the Doctor's actions the last time that he met the Slovene and kind of the fact that there aren't many episodes. This is sort of like a spiritual sequel to aliens london world war three and i will argue i'd say that this in part like i like this episode more in ways that i didn't like the other episodes i think and okay. it is interesting to have the doctor come back to an adventure that he'd had previously and really face the consequence of that i think when villains like the daleks and the cybermen and the master come back often they kind of forget the last time they saw them and it's like right here's a new story with this villain whereas with this one more so than any of the others i think he really does have to say, oh, that thing I did. Well, this, to be fair, this whole season is like that. I think the finale then after this is a consequence of the long game. And this whole series is a lot about the Doctor dealing with his consequences. That's true. That is true. Yeah, I, it's it's funny. On rewatch, I remember this being quite camp and quite funny. Um, on rewatch, it felt more like a filler than I remembered. Mm. And maybe it's just now that we've grown up a bit, it's more transparent how I they've cut so. corners a little bit to pull this together. Well, for the people who may not have revisited Boomtown in a while, should I go through a quick plot recap? Please. So, uh, Boomtown aired on the 4th of June, 2005, and this episode was written by Russell T. Davies and directed again by Joe Ahin. Joe has uh, directed loads of episodes in this series. Uh, to summarise the episode, the TARDIS crew meet Mickey Smith in Cardiff, where they're using the Rift to refuel the TARDIS. They soon learn that Margaret Blaine, one of the last surviving members of the Slovene family, has become mayor and is planning on building a nuclear power station in the heart of the city. They capture Margaret and learn that she was hoping to use the power plant to free the Rift and ride the wave into space using the extrapolator. So they bring her back onto the TARDIS and tell her that she can face punishment on her home world of Rax Corocophalopatorius. They try and use the extrapolator to speed the TARDIS refuel, but instead create a rupture in space, with Margaret using the chaos to try and escape before the TARDIS blows up, taking Earth with it. The Doctor shows Margaret at the heart of the TARDIS, and it regresses her into an egg. They stop the explosion, and before they head off to take her home, Rose realises Mickey is no longer with them. He's left her behind, as he will always be second to the Doctor. Nice. Thank you, Sam. That was really special. <laughs> it was almost like watching it again. It was like I was there. <laughs> like I was there on Cardiff Bay. Like I was there on Cardiff Bay. Now, you've not been to Cardiff Bay, have you? I haven't. I was actually going to ask you, how did you feel as, as a regular visitor of Cardiff and Cardiff Bay? How did you feel about watching this episode? Yeah, I've talked about this a few times, but it's great. You go to Cardiff and you're basically on the set of Doctor Who. It's very exciting because it featured mm -hmm. so prevalently in Torchwood and several series of Doctor Who, actually. Um, mm. They moved away from it, I feel, later on. I feel like they used it much more heavily in series one to four as Cardiff. I could be wrong. I think that Russell really pushed for... He knew that he was filming it in Cardiff 
and he wanted to show the area and sort of showcase what Wales had to offer. And I know that they continued to film in yeah. Cardiff once uh, Stephen Moffat took the reins. And then it was later, I think they started reaching out into more areas and filming up north. And now I think it's a bit, I know they're still based in Wales, but with the newer series, I see them filming in London and filming in Bristol and filming like a lot more around. Well, it's funny. I think it's actually very minimal still. They did um, some recent scenes with Millie Gibson. They dressed some streets in Clifton in Bristol as uh, London. Mm. So I don't think they film in London very often at all and they can avoid it. Yeah. Uh, and I think they dressed a lot of Newport High Street recently to look like London again. Yeah. So I think wherever they can, they avoid it because I guess it's expensive. It's difficult to get the permits. It but is. also I think they want to keep the filming local for local jobs, the local economy. It is BBC Wales that are producing it. So yeah. it makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's amazing. I mean, if you go to Cardiff, um, we'll go together sometime. I'll take you around. We'll have a look. There'll be Doc 2 tours we can do. We can probably do a self-guided one. Um, One thing, okay, two things I'll say about this episode. One, Rose's outfit is the high level of camp that I don't think we really get to see from Rose. I love this outfit. I love her little pigtails. I love the really long colorful scarf. I love the mini skirt, even though it's absolutely freezing and clearly cold. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's so camp. The other thing I'll say about Rose is, my God, why hasn't she officially broken up with Mickey Smith yet? There's a great scene inside this, though, that explores that. And actually, that's probably one of the few highlights for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree with you, first Mickey's of all. Mickey's new girlfriend. Yeah, I actually, I actually love that scene. I think it's really good. I actually really, really, really like that bit. Um, so mm. first of all, I think Rose's outfit is great. I really like the <laughs> denim skirt. I think it also, she goes double denim. I think it's a denim jacket yeah. as well. And it's a nice long multicolored scarf. It's a look. It's a look. It's and a look. And then some tights and some little, little black boots. Maybe? Yes, she's got little black boots, the black tights. Yeah, double denim, but not matching denim. Uh, and the really like loose knitted scarf. It's just like the, I love Rose in both series sort of has a signature hairstyle. She has the really sort of, I'd say long, one might argue flat hair in series one. And then it's a bit more voluminous, short, not a read, just the fact, uh, voluminous sort of shorter hair in series two. But I love the episodes where she does something different with it. So in this one, it's um, like the, the plaited pigtails. I love in Tooth and Claw when she has the curly hair, um, I love in mm, that was a good one. I love in uh, the long game when she has it like in a messy updo. Like, oh, I love it. I like as well at the end of New Earth when they go back to Cassandra's <gasps> oh. party before she had her flattening surgeries and she has her high pony. I love it. I think so, that's very would, gorgeous. Do you know why they did that? No. Um, I believe because of scheduling and everything, they filmed that around the same time they did School Reunion and Tooth and Claw because they always filmed two episodes together. So Billy had curly hair at that time because she was filming those episodes. That can't be the reason. As if they they didn't have time to straighten her hair. Look at the picture. Look at the picture. like, listen, we're doing this block. And she was like, but I carved my hair. Oh my God, that... That's gonna stay for weeks. She couldn't wash it. They but it would have taken out a lot of the time. It would have taken a lot of the time. You're right. It would have taken a good half an hour to wash her hair. We, they couldn't have. You're right. The- girl, girl, <laughs> girl. Are we fighting? Are we having a fight? I'm looking at the photo right now. She has curled hair. Yeah, I don't think that's. I don't think that's a filming issue. Well. I don't think that's for scheduling. What, you, what, what would, do, you, do you think that she ran away from Cassandra <laughs> and then before they dumped her off, she, she curled her hair? I think she did. I think she was like, we're going to a classy party. <laughs> and she said, give me a moment. Moving back to Boomtown. <laughs> Moving back to Boomtown. 
what was the second thing you liked apart from Rose's outfit? Sorry. Oh, no, so no, those were the two things. The first thing is her outfit. The second thing is she, oh, she needs to break up with Mickey Smith. Uh, like Trish from the shop, oh. let Mickey have Trish. I'm sure they're having a lovely relationship back on the Powell estate. And she gets so jealous, despite the fact that since we last saw Mickey, she's tried it on with Adam. She's tried it on with Jack. She then got annoyed at Jack for being so yeah. like polyamorous and queer. And yet she still keeps Mickey around and gets jealous if he dates anyone. So... She is being a little mean here, but I do like that we see the consequence for Mickey here. I think it's really great. Um, the kind of really difficult position she's left him in. And yeah, she is being selfish. Mm -hmm. But I think we said before, we quite like the flawed character of Rose and that she is being a little selfish. We we like the way that's mm -hmm. written. I really like the way this explored as well. So I think a few things happening here. One is a little show off for the mermaid quayside on <laughs> Cardiff Bay, which is looking super lovely at this time of night. I imagine they probably film this at like 4am or something. Mm. I actually heard that while they were filming this, because obviously they were filming it at night, it got so cold they had to extend, I think, filming by two days because the fountain automatically turns off if it's, it gets to a certain temperature. Yes. And two days in a row, yes. it kept turning off because it was just too cold and they needed the fountain on for the shots. There's that. The dialogue here I think is great. One thing I really like about this dialogue is Rose explains his other adventures she's been on with the Doctor that we haven't seen. Mm -hmm. And she's talking about like, oh, we walked across this beach with no people. It was like a thousand mile beach. And... I love the name as well, Woman Wept. Yeah, Woman Wept and... It was like uh, uh, the ocean was like frozen in the middle of a storm with waves and foam all the way to the horizon. And we walk underneath these waves that are 100 feet tall. They're all made of ice. And then Mickey's just like, I'm going out with Trisha Delaney. And then it's just like silence. <laughs> and she's like, right. She's like, Trisha from the shop. Trisha from the shop. She's like, she's like well, that's nice. She's a bit big. She's a bit big. Oh, <laughs> she's like, she's like, oh she lost weight. She really been is away. from 2005. I know. She's body shaming Trisha. <laughs> it's a few things happening at once, right? Mickey's like, this is my only bit of news. This is all I have. And there's nothing else I can use to impress you. He's like, I've got nothing to counter this with, apart from try and make mm -hmm. you a little bit jealous with a girl I don't even like that much. And... Yeah. It's the way it rattles Rose as well. Like, despite the story she's telling, it still hurts her a little bit to think that Mickey might have moved mm -hmm. on, even with someone that she doesn't really feel jealous about. And I like that because that feels very human and that feels very real. I think that it's little moments like this where you really get glistens of Russell's best writing where as we've said before in other episodes i think a lot of other companions tend to be written like these perfect characters that say the perfect thing and feel the perfect thing in the moment and i think that that little thing uh i'm going to trisha deloney it really like halts rose in her tracks and she then in the later scenes she's thinking about it and like she's she's distracted by what he's saying and then he like is trying to keep conversation she kind of snaps him and it's been like chewing on her mind because that's what would happen i think even if you knew that you weren't romantically interested in your ex-boyfriend anymore and it had never really been cleared up so they've started seeing someone else you would be thinking about it when they suddenly told you and like it, they never had a conversation of like so where are we now what are we doing yeah it's just become clear what their relationships become and it just suddenly brings her right back to the real world and i think that that is such a well-written moment because she's like 19 this is how you'd react i think yeah, if you of were course 19. it is it's like a real relationship mm. drama and i i really like that there are bits of his writing this one i don't love so much this bit i do love though and i like the emotion that it's played with as well i like that he tears up and he's mm. talking about kind of you left me and there's a point where i think he actually breaks and starts to cry and it's around the like i can't even go out with some girl from the shop because 
the second you ring, I'll come running. And he starts to like well up at that. And yeah, he he says, you made me feel like nothing, Rose. I was nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Drama. The bit of writing I don't love so much that is also very Russell T Davies and it's very, um, it's very soap is Mm. what's, what do they call this style? Hang on. Generally. Oh, this is it. They say, you know what he does? He does kitchen sink realism or kitchen sink drama, which is when people like depict the daily struggles of ordinary working class people. That's his style. So people say that series one is a kitchen, is a kitchen sink drama in some ways. How, how so in this episode? Margaret is threatening Kathy, who is a reporter for the Cardiff Gazette in the bathroom. And mm. she's planning to attack her. And she's saying, are you going to go public with this information? And then she says something like, mind you, my boyfriend thinks I'm mad. We're getting married next month. And I've got a baby on the way. And she's like, you're with child. And then, I don't know, there's something about the like, what's meant to happen? There was an accident. Nice accident, though. Yeah, nice accident, though. Jeffrey, civil servant. He's nothing exciting, but he's mine. Like, oh, it's so like, oh, just it slightly cringes me out a little bit. Mm. Um, I do see what you mean. It's like you wouldn't be spieling every like aspect of your personal life story and then all the backstory to that as well to this person which is the exact right thing to say in that exact right moment and yeah no, i get yeah that. it's very i mean i don't hate it it's very distinctly his style right the way he writes characters and you know throwing these little ordinary details from their lovely ordinary little simple lives and you know it's not much but it's what we've got and it's it's very i do that. think the show needs that at points i think i do get what you mean about that scene in particular but like in this big fantastical show where you can go anywhere and anything can happen i think you do need odd moments of like grounding well sometimes i yeah he'll go too far with it but um yeah this scene is just funny where where she just goes on and on about her boyfriend and her pregnancy and this and that and it's like you're in the toilet talking to the mayor (laughs) talking to the mayor um there's that other bit that reminds me of it as well like in the planet of the dead or something and he's like what where were you going on this bus and yeah we were going home some chops and gravy chops and gravy most important thing in the world i don't know what it's a very distinctive style i'm definitely not saying it sucks because it doesn't but it's um it's very recognizable no but i think we tend to always look at russell with like such rose colored glasses. as well you do remember that like with any writer there are moments where the writing's not so good and then there are bits that we love and i think that certainly i and i think both of us can be blind to nostalgia at times so i think we have to every so often take ourselves out because it's so easy to be like russell is the best showrunner and like we're saying the soundtracks it's like murray gold is the best artist but then there you know everyone has peaks and everyone has valleys of course they do of course they do and i'm not saying it's even a russell valley but this might be a russell valley this episode might be a Russell Valley. <laughs> One thing that I love in this episode is the chase where the Dr. Jack, Rose and Mickey are all in different points of uh, the mayor's office and they're all trying to stop Margaret running away. And while she's running, she's unclipping bits of her necklace, unclipping bits of her earrings. Oh, yeah. Because it makes up a little personal teleport. And then there's that scene where she's running away and she blips away and uh, Jack's like, no, she's got a teleport. Now we'll never find her. That's cheating. Yes. And Rose is just like, oh, the doctor's good at teleports. And I, he just yes. sonics her back like three times. And then she says, um, this is harassment. This isn't fair. What did I ever do to you? And he's like, you tried to kill me and destroy this whole planet. And she goes, apart from that. I love this too. It's silly. It's slapstick. Again, I love that line. Really I love is. the way they describe it. It's like, oh, the doctor's good at teleports. There's like a little, a little hint there that there's adventures happening off screen that we don't get to see all the time. Because I don't think we saw a teleport before this, did no, we? No, I was thinking, when I was reading into this episode, I think someone said that it was a callback to 
um, when he teleported Cassandra back in the end of the world. Oh. But other than that, like, I don't think that warrants very good at teleports. I think that Maybe. it alludes to other adventures we might not be seeing. For me, it alludes to other adventures, but that is a good example. But I like it because as well, at the same time as this, we were both reading the Doctor Who books, right? Did you have the hardbacks? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, I did. So yeah. I think that made it all feel more believable for me, reading those books in year four or whatever it was. It, it, mm. it was like, oh, yeah, these, these are the adventures that were happening on the side. For me, this is important to me. In year four, the canon matters i need to believe that these stories could have happened and that that built it for me <laughs> exactly no i think that uh i mean we touched on it last week with expanded media there's a lot of stuff that isn't on screen i think the doctor canon is silly and flexible and things can get rewritten and whatever mm -hmm. and i think that it's you're very aware that companions and the doctor are having adventures together you don't get to see and then also the doctor goes on adventures without the companion sometimes and i kind of especially when watching russell's era i really felt like we always saw the companion and the doctors together and i couldn't imagine the doctor doing anything by himself mm. and then i actually grew to like in Stephen moffat's era when the doctor would go on like a one-off by himself and amy and Roy might stay behind or there'd be like a Christmas episode where he was going off on this adventure and then maybe come back to them at the end of the episode and so then when in the Doctor Adventures magazine that I got they'd have a lot of comics and when it was in between series or say in the year of specials where the Doctor didn't have a set companion mm. they would write a new companion in oh. and have that companion for like you know six months worth of issues and it was fun to think that maybe the Doctor has companions we don't know Frobisher the Penguin we Frobisher keep coming the back penguin. to him Frobisher the Penguin pay him his dues pay him his dues honey <laughs> but yeah i think that's fun i <laughs> people have been joking about uh Frobisher the penguin a lot on twitter at the moment you know when they put up the mural in uh the bad bull studios of, of shutigawa yeah people were like oh my god i can't believe they confirmed it and it was like a mural of frobisher on the same wall <laughs> and they're like oh my god i can't believe they've announced this i mean he's bringing back beep the meep i genuinely wouldn't be surprised i think frobisher i don't think he'd be like a full companion but i think like you know it's definitely a throwaway comment away I'd love to say, like, we have the budget, we have the budget, but we found out the budget isn't as big as we thought oh, it was. was At one point, it was rumoured to be that kind of 10 mil an episode, and then Russell had to row back a little bit in Doc 2 magazine and was like, hey guys, uh, just to manage expectations, it's not 10 million an episode, just to uh, nip that one. Exactly, no, but I mean... So no penguins? I'm thinking, you know, they can just, like, comp in a claymation penguin from creature comforts and call it a day i mean that would just be one... funny as hell that'd be better because we're dealing with all of time and space and every parallel reality and all the weirdness and wackiness that comes with it claymation penguin <laughs> why not <laughs> well you know doctor who can go into the multiverse of madness and there's a world somewhere where everyone's made out of plasticine <laughs> Yeah, ab absolutely. Exactly. One thing I really liked about this episode is we get to see a little bit more of the kind of mysterious and living nature of the TARDIS. I think it's always very cool. Mm. So I think I've said to you before, the TARDIS, I, I kind of, because I'm cool and different, <laughs> I consider it to be a character. I think and... loads of people consider it. It was a woman in one episode. Yeah, the TARDIS is a character. Yeah. And... I love when we get to get a little nibble of TARDIS lore because mm -hmm. it doesn't have to make sense because it's kind of a, what does Margaret call it in this episode? She's like, this is, this is like the machinery of the gods or something like that. And, and it is, she's right. Two of my favorite episodes actually are Journey to the Center of the TARDIS because we get this very cool look at some of the things we've never seen before. I think we get to see 
the Eye of Harmony. We get to see the collapsing, mm. suspended black hole that's powering the TARDIS. is very cool. We get to see the TARDIS's kind of defense mechanisms where it tries to scare them from the engine by disguising itself as a cliff edge. Yeah. Like a wounded animal snarling. Um, you get to see the exploded engine room, which is all these kind of 2D prints layered around this huge studio. Very cool. And the other episode I love is The Doctor's Wife. I think this is probably one of the best ever. This one's done by neil gaiman Mm. and the tardis is put inside a human body and briefly the doctor and the tardis can talk to each other which is really lovely Mm -hmm. but yeah i love whenever we get a bit of a bit of tardis magic yeah one thing that i noted when watching this episode is exactly the same thing i do love when we get to see more of the tardis and learn more about it but i think that even with all those episodes there's so much we don't know and so much that i don't necessarily think we need to be told and i think this episode does the perfect Mm -hmm. job of alluding to the fact that the TARDIS is this living being it's a character it is his own entity and you can hurt it and it can fight back and I think that then it sets up well in the finale of this season when Rose breaks the TARDIS open to force it to help her what the consequences of that become yes and one of Russell's defenses in the confidential that I watched of the conclusion of this episode was well actually we have already alluded to the fact that the TARDIS is psychic and that you develop a psychic link with it as soon as you come inside but the way he described it was interesting because I had kind of imagined that that was more of a link really between the Doctor and the TARDIS Mm. and that everyone else just kind of got a few perks of being a companion in the TARDIS like they get the translation matrix and that sort of thing and that was kind of where it ended and that the TARDIS is predominantly a machine but with kind of a living element to it but Russell describes it and says it actually reads your mind and it could kind of understand Margaret's intentions and it kind of intervened to help save the day Mm. and it looked into Margaret's head and decided she deserved a second chance essentially which is really interesting because it kind of creates the idea that the TARDIS can make a judgment yeah on its own which is interesting and that it can actually step in and change things i heard a similar thing where he, I, one take on it as well is that when margaret looks into the heart of the tardis the doctor says it says you looked into the heart of the tardis and the tardis looks into the heart of you and not only mm. is it about the tardis making a judgment but it, it's that the tardis looks inside her and sees that she wants a second chance she wants to mm. have a go at life again and then it sort of grants her that wish it has the power to travel through time so it then uses that power to bring her back in time and regress her to an egg and it's not just making a judgment <laughs> in itself it's also taking the consideration what she wants everything you said was so poetic up until and regress her into an egg as if that was a perfectly <laughs> sensible thing to happen it was like exactly yeah you know it, it looked into her soul and it saw all the things she could be across time and space and all the other realities and, and then it made to... her into an egg and she was an egg would you uh we'll do and fun facts at the end as egg. always but do you want a quick uh fun fact about the egg please oh it's i know this one well you uh, you probably we probably got our fun facts <laughs> in the same place this week you can i'm like tell i me. know this one and then i don't say it it's it's a prop, right? It's a reused prop from Van Staten's museum. This whole episode is a rehash. Wait, 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 wait. You're half, right? What? Only half? It's a it's a reused prop. Um, it's the it's one of the eggs from the end of the world. You know, he cracks the ostrich egg. Yeah. 
I think it's a repurposed prop from that was the ostrich egg. Oh, from the end of the world. oh, it's not even. It wasn't. So they literally like glued some other bits on it. They like painted because they would have had like there. There obviously was one that they cracked, but it was one that they like painted and did up and made into an alien egg. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, you know what? Good for them. I didn't notice. I was eight, so what did I notice? Exactly. Oh, this also sets up the finale quite nicely with the whole mm. kind of heart of the TARDIS thing and, you know, looking into the time vortex and the bad wolf and so on and such. Um, but yeah, it's nice. I mean, uh, the TARDIS is my favorite character, right? Like, it, it, it gets explained, I think, at some point that maybe it gets explained in The Doctor's Wife that the reason the TARDIS kind of behaves erratically isn't just a broken navigation system, but it's that yeah. the TARDIS has an element of choice. And just as the Doctor chose to run away with that TARDIS, the TARDIS also kind of chose the Doctor to run away with. And mm. that the Doctor doesn't always go where he wants to go, but the TARDIS always takes him where he needs to go. So mm. kind of also gives an explanation for why every time they land, there's always trouble and danger and death is because actually the TARDIS deliberately steers him towards situations where he's needed, where he can change things. So that's kind of a nice two-way explanation, right? I love it. No, exactly. It's it's always taking him where he needs to go and where he's needed. I love it. Yeah. And I, I really, really love that. So anyway, yeah, I, I love it. I, it's a silly, silly ending that the, the skin suit kind of flaps to the floor and there's this reused <laughs> egg prop inside it. I mean, they must have been watching this in the edit room like, does this work? <laughs> Literally. I wonder if there was ever a point they were watching this back and they were like, And like the drama control of the BBC is there and they're like, Russell, this is not your best work. <laughs> he did what he could do. Well, speaking of, uh, let's talk a little bit about what this episode could have been if it had originally gone to the original plan. Oh, yeah. I know that the original writer was unavailable and I've forgotten his name, but he is a writer for Shameless. So back in 2005, Russell T. Davies was doing an interview for Doctor Who magazine uh, and he mentions that he had another script that was originally being drafted for this episode as being written by Paul Abbott. And yes, uh, like you said, Paul Abbott is a writer for Shameless. And he said that the storyline that he was originally thinking of writing was an episode set in Pompeii where Rose is jealous of the Doctor and Jack getting very close. And then Jack uncovers the fact that the Doctor secretly bred rose as a psychic experiment to create his perfect companion and it's all about that discovery and how the whole season have been leading up to this moment yeah i mean don't say secretly bred <laughs> you have to say publicly bred also i it doesn't this doesn't make sense to me because it can't progress beyond a concept because it doesn't tie in with anything before or after this so mm -hmm. it doesn't really even lead into the finale because there's 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 nowhere it would have fit that made any sense Unless the Doctor had kind of also resolved it with Rose at the point that he saved her. Like, Rose, my weird experiment baby, uh, <laughs> coming to get you. I don't know how long they were floating this. Well, apparently. So apparently he had been writing this idea for three weeks before he dropped out and said, I can't commit to this. I think that Shameless was taking up too much of his time. And he said, I can't commit to writing this episode. Mm. Uh, but Russ was quoted in saying, you've just ruined my character. Thank you very much. Haha. <laughs> but he would have made it brilliant because he's the best writer in the world. Not going to lie from reading this. I think there's a bit of Russell that was like, oh, thank God he didn't get to write that episode. I simply don't think it would have ever progressed beyond concept. I just, I, I, to be honest, on some level, I think this is a joke because I just don't think this 
could have been placed in the season. It just doesn't make sense because Russell wrote the Rose and Doctor dynamic as a love story. And this Mm. drives a horrible, ugly, scary wedge in the middle of it. And as interesting as that is now to look back on as a kind of what if... It would have been really bizarre then, and well, it just would have, have been horrible. The character of the Doctor, it would have been a horrible twist. So I'm, yeah. I don't think, I don't think this was ever really going to happen. It, it never should happen. I, I agree with you. I don't think that it would have ever really come to fruition. I do think that they would have adapted some kind of script from Paul Abbott. I think a Pompeii episode would have been fun. Obviously, we then later saw that in the Fires Pompeii, especially as it was something that Jack had previously referenced in the series about uh, Vesuvius and Pompeii. Um, but I do think that that then it changes the Doctor's dynamic. I think the only interesting thing I really think about it is that the Doctor, that the wider audience who watched the show in the classic series would know was the Doctor that would always help people and he's he's always known for good. And there would be this twist as to <laughs> the war really changed him. The war changed him more <laughs> yeah, than we really as the audience. really changed him. No, that's a silly, that's a, it's, it's too silly, it's too silly. I don't endorse. No, I know. It is. I don't endorse. I think that it's interesting concept uh, to see how much the war really changed and how he really needs someone to just be his friend. But maybe that is just, you know, <laughs> so badly. Also, how does Jackie play into this? What made him decide that the Immaculate Birth would be via Jackie Tyler? I'm not... What What was this? <sighs> well, I mean, who, who am I to say that Jackie Tyler isn't the perfect candidate for the Immaculate Birth? The Mary of the Doctor Universe. Oh my God, Jackie Tyler is is the Virgin Mary. <laughs> she is, and I I get that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. yeah. Um, to be quite honest, much as we were joking about it being a filler episode, which it is, um, I would rather have the filler episode of Boomtown than whatever that was going to be. That I I don't believe it ever would have happened. The more I think about it, the more I'm like, shut up. <laughs> well um the main reason that they end up i think obviously paul abbott was originally going to write the script and then they changed it and russell wrote it but the main reason they made it such a bottle episode as they did is that they wanted to try and save money for the two-part finale they wanted that to be as big of a spectacle as they could so they were mm. like okay well if we save money in episode 11 then we can put that towards episodes 12 and 13 and i also think it was smart i mean we'll talk about this next time but using the sets that they have in episode 12 and 13 they already built them for the long game so they're reusing Mm. sets again in there as we previously discussed the end of the world took up a lot of the budget for this series as a whole so i think for a big spectacle of the finale they then had to cut corners where they could and that meant making further episodes and other episodes reusing sets in those episodes and um i think these three episodes uh, as a little package i think of them as a package in my head because i used to buy the dvd volumes and volume four of series one was boomtown parting of the ways and bad wolf and um i think that they we still got three good episodes out of it you know we did that's true how do we feel about the Slovene returning we talked about this before i think i think you'd love them back wouldn't you i would love them back it was actually i was thinking about this a moment ago we both came away from watching aliens of london and world war three thinking Mm, this wasn't the best episode this was a bit silly and we both come away from this episode thinking mm, this was a bit of a filler episode we could have done without it <laughs> what is it about the Celine that i still really want them to come back there's something about i think maybe a Slovene that isn't evil i mean i know the Slovene is the family and not the species but yeah i think there's something maybe compelling about i think if you remove the bodysuit element the mm. design entices me it endears me the big <laughs> kind of black saucer eyes and the teeny mm-hmm. tiny mouth and the massive puffy cheeks it, it endears me <laughs> it's and a weird baby face 
it's a baby face. And I think now that it's kind of coming up on kind of 15, 20 years old, it's now kind of taking on kind of a, a classic look for me. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know, I just kind of want to see how that would be reimagined now as well. What can you I do would love to, to in the same way that when they brought the Jadoon back for Jodie's era, they completely remade the face. They didn't just take the old Jadoon face and either stick some hair on it or just use the same one again. They completely re-sculpted it. And I think they made subtle changes, but, you know, technology advances, skills advance, materials advance even within the short space of like you know david tensor is jody whitakers i would be really interested to see how they would ever so slightly redesign this they could even if they wanted to because like you said the selena family um of rax korok Victorians, sure in the same way that when they brought the ice warriors back they changed the designs like they like updated it enough time has passed i think that you could update the selene design you could change it and i wonder how they do that give us a new one I'm ready for it. And also, I just love the Celine and the Sarah Jane adventures as well. I think they're such a camp little villain for the kids series, so I think that's fun. They really are. That's maybe where they belong next. Just keep maybe. them on kids' TV. <laughs> In uh, the adventures of Ace and Tegan. Yeah, that'd be fine. They can handle that. Yeah, for sure. Um, should we move on to some fun facts? Go on, give me some fun facts, please. So in the opening scene before the credits, we see Mr. Cleaver, who is played by William Thomas. Now, William Thomas had previously appeared as Martin the Undertaker in Doctor Remembrance of the Daleks in 1988. Mm. He then came back in Torture, which you may recognise him more, as uh, Jerry Ant Cooper, who is the father of Gwen Cooper. I actually watched Remembrance of the Daleks recently. Great episode. And mm. he's in it. And I think I might have sent you a little screenshot saying Gwen's you did. dad. But if I didn't, he is in that. You did. You did. You spot him as uh, Gwen's dad. And this also brings him into a club of a very few actors. Uh, Peter Capaldi is one of them to play three different characters in the Doctor Who universe. Oh, well, <laughs> sorry. My reaction was weird there. It was just, it took me by surprise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I actually ran through most of my fun facts during this episode. However, one that I think this is, is just in- like Doctor Confidential when they run out of fun facts and they had to come up with a different topic. Just like Doctor Confidential, we are running thin on the ground for fun facts here. However, one thing that's interesting is again in Classic Who in 1982 there was an episode called The Visitation, and in there the Fifth Doctor similarly was told by an alien criminal that if he returns them home, that would result in his death. And in that episode, the Doctor offered to take the criminal to a different planet to avoid their death sentence, and this then showed the doctor's growth and regression maybe since the time war as to the fact he was so quick and happy to send margaret to her death well alistair this episode was it camp or was it damp it was camp we're <laughs> <woof>. <laughs> finally camp, it's uh, it makes it safely into the camp camp so uh yeah well well claps, to, camp claps camp. to boom down snaps you made the... it you scraped by snaps for the camp camp by the uh by the skinny or big Slovene claws. And this nearly takes us to the finale of series one. God, we're going to have to think of some sort of uh, big drum up for that, aren't we? I know. We're going to have to think of a, a, an event. An event. Yeah, or, or indeed as they did broadcast, just, just a little countdown. <gasps> yeah, that's the thing. We'll have to do a little, we'll tweet a little countdown towards the episode. But before then, we'll have another fun topic episode next week. Alistair, do you want to tell everyone where they can find us? Yes, please do check us out at Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We post there all the time, like all the time these days. And it's me and Sam both posting at the same time, so it's carnage. But the content's actually quite good. Uh, you can also find us on our YouTube channel, also at Pod, where we repost old episodes of the podcast, as well as fun little videos that you can enjoy. Lame. 
But yeah, thank you for joining us on this. <laughs> lame. Uh, yeah, lame. But yes, thank you for joining us on this episode of Hula La Doctor Podcast. And we look forward to having you with us next week. Can't wait to see you. Goodbye.